Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Dr. Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Chan Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult. Be sure to follow the link in the description after today's episode for more information about today's article and to claim CME credit. This podcast is brought to you by PrimeMed. Yvonne presents today for follow-up of her hypertension. Her blood pressure is at goal, and she's been taking her ACE inhibitor without any adverse effects. When you ask her how she's doing otherwise, she shrugs and says, I'm okay, I guess. You know, the usual stuff. I don't sleep as well as I used to, but I guess that's to be expected. The hot flashes wake me up most nights. Nothing seems to work like it used to. You have five minutes left in the visit and have to think about what's best for Yvonne to try to help make her feel better. Hi, this is Frank Domino, and joining me today to discuss menopause is Susan Feeney, Director of the Adult Gerontology and Family Nurse Practitioner Programs at the UMass Chan Medical School, Tan Chingfen Graduate School of Nursing. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Frank. So Yvonne, here she is. She's in her mid to late 50s. She's, she's experiencing menopausal symptoms. Just remind us what's common for menopause and maybe what, 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 what isn't common and, and how we uh, might start thinking about her presentation. Well, the data is pretty clear that most women, somewhere between 50 and greater than 80% of women, experience some sort of menopausal-related symptoms, and that can last five to seven years. And the most common are those vasomotor symptoms, which are the hot flashes and temperature dis- temperature dysregulation. The others are the genitourinary syndrome of menopause, previously known as atrophic vaginitis, and sleep disturbances. And then there can be an assortment of mood disorders based on all of these symptoms. So this is very, very common. Half of the population or more will be experiencing some of this. And it can really interfere with quality of life. And I think that there is some evidence too that women do sort of what Yvonne is saying, like, well, you know, hey, this is to be expected. So they sort of sort of deal with these disruptions in their lives and um, either don't seek care or don't uh, or work with providers who don't know how to provide care or are comfortable with providing care. So it, it's a it's a little bit of a problem. I'll be honest with you, when I'm helping women make decisions about managing their menopausal symptoms, I'm always a little apprehensive, as are they. Can, can you just remind us about how these symptoms are commonly treated and what the best evidence tells us? Well, there's a myriad of over-the-counter medications. Most of are are not well studied because for many, many reasons. But basically, there's a lot of evidence of the efficacy of hormonal therapy, estrogen, and then if there's an intact uterus, cyclical progesterone. And so the North American Menopause Society, which uh, really does sort of drive the bus on this, has a great statement that comes out every few years. And the last one was 2022. And they feel that hormone therapy, some combination of estrogen, and again, if there's a uterus progesterone, is effective for treating vasomotor symptoms, genitourinary syndrome of menopause or atrophic vaginitis. Especially, they're very clear, the, the risks are really minimal for women under 60 who are within 10 years of menopause. So in other words, they've had onset of symptoms somewhere within 10 years, and they don't have any contraindications. And for most women, it can be two to three years of this medication, and 
really help them transition through this trend, you know, change in the, the decreasing levels of estrogen. Talk a little bit about the obstacles that patients have around uh, treating their menopausal symptoms and what the recent literature can tell us to maybe help make their lives better. Right. Well, you know, as you remember, 2002, we had the Women's Health uh, Study that came out and it was misinterpreted and there was great fear that there was a significant risk of breast cancer and of heart disease and it just threw ice water on this whole prescribing. And I remember I, I was part of that and everybody was like, well, I'm not going to give that. So what happened over the last 20 years is that really it was in the domain of gynecologists and women's health providers who are really doing the bulk of this prescribing. However, most women, once they hit menopause or once they stop having babies, go back to a general practitioner, go to a family practice or internal med. And what we've seen is an 80% decrease in hormonal therapy prescribing since then and hasn't rebounded. And there was a study actually, it was very interesting, about five years ago, the study came out and it looked at family medicine, internal medicine, and OBGYN residents basically saying, how do you, how do you manage menopause? And there was a really high percentage of the family med and the internal med residents who felt like I've never saw this treated in res- in med school or residency and I'm not comfortable with it. So there's a real disconnect between the evidence and how and people's comfort with this. And you know, there's pretty good guidelines that if someone is under 60, they're within 10 years, you know, they haven't had menopausal symptoms for 20 years. They've had menopausal symptoms for less than 10 and they have no contraindications. They're a good candidate for this and it can really make a difference. It's not for everyone. It has to be a joint decision-making, but for many women, it's not even being offered or discussed. Um, we talk a little bit about, uh, I, I was always taught to use the estrogen cream and uh, women would tell me, oh, you know, it's messy. I don't really like using it. Are there other options? Yeah, there's, uh, well, first of all, it depends on what the symptoms are. For GSM or the, the, you know, the vaginal atrophy, really the topicals are the best. The oral formulations don't seem to give enough symptom relief. So there's a whole myriad. You can use the creams, but, you know, nobody likes it. I'm often would give it at bedtime, but it's still kind of messy. But they have tablets. They have this thing called E-string that it's like a ring that you can insert. And they're easy to insert. They're, you know, if you give it at bedtime, it dissolves overnight and doesn't cause any uh, residual um, discharge from that. And it really can work very well. And it's usually given on a, you usually give it at the, the tablets or the cream you give, you know, once a night for a week, and then you go to once or twice a week. And it can really change. Not only it can improve, you know, sexual function, it can just improve discomfort and feeling of the dryness that can be down there. So that's really helpful. If somebody has having sleep disturbance or sleep sleep disturbance because of hot flashes or living with hot flashes, the most effective is the oral preparation, or I shouldn't say oral. You can use transdermal, you can use uh, oral, but the there are many different formulations. What's recommended or seems to be the most efficacious and has least side effects is the patch, the estrogen patch. And then to give a, if someone has an intact uterus, to give them cyclical progesterone seems to be the most, has least side effects. You know, again, taking something cyclically can be difficult. They do have combination, but 
we know that progesterone has a little higher uh, side effect profile and can slightly increase risk of breast cancer really minimally. But it's, you know, if you can, if a person can take the cyclical progesterone, um, it's really the, it seems to be the most efficacious and less side effects. But there's a, there are many, many preparations. And I've got a, a reference that's going to be with the, uh, on the landing page from the, it's the North American Menopause Society's statement. And in there is every type of preparation you can imagine. So people can go there, look and see what they see. But the patch seems to be the most, has the least side effects and the most efficacious. And just to be clear, so if you're using something systemic like uh, an oral preparation or a transdermal and they have an intact uterus, you need to uh, have some progestin periodically. But what about the, the transvaginal? Do you need to use uh, progestin there? No. No, you don't. And there is, you know, you know, we usually, one of the contraindications is a history of cancer, breast cancer or ovarian. But I've had patients who are, you know, many years out from a breast cancer diagnosis and is in basically remission. I've checked with their oncologist. Occasionally, based on their history and their symptomatology, they may be able to do that. But in general, that's really the most, the only real contraindication. Um, obviously, if there's unexplained vaginal bleeding, if there's a history of hyperplasia that's not been evaluated, then you wouldn't want to give the vaginal. Sure. Okay. So quickly, Yvonne, you've known her for a while. What do you want to suggest first for her? Well, first of all, I want to ask her a few more questions. I mean, it sounds in, in her in her description that this is hot flash based because if there's a if it's if people sometimes sleep can be disturbed in menopause because uh, melatonin, one of the building blocks of melatonin is serotonin and one of those building blocks, and what you need for that is estrogen. So sometimes an SSRI will help with sleeping. But if this is truly due to menopause, due to hot flashes, then I would really talk to her and say, what are your feelings about um, taking an, an estrogen? And I'd want to make sure there are no contraindications, obviously, history of breast or ovarian cancer, or if there's any risk of thromboembolic disease or active liver disease. But if she's like most women and has very has no contraindications, I would I would discuss it. I have five minutes with her, so I may say, look, can you come back next week and we can just I'll give her some literature and some information and have her come back. I couldn't agree more. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you. Menopause can cause a myriad of symptoms with significant impact on quality of life and overall wellness. Become familiar and comfortable with evidence-based therapies to help engage patients in joint decision-making to find the best treatment plan that works the best for them. Join us next time when we talk about the updated 2022 CDC guidelines for the management of pain with opioids. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim CME credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, follow the link in the description. To stay up to date on the most recent clinical research and news, please subscribe to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine and be sure to check out primed.com for additional CME content.